0: Welcome to On The Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. Before we hop into the show, I want to give a quick thank you to the first sponsor of On The Other Side, Rabbit Hole. Rabbit Hole is allowing users to earn crypto while they explore the weird world of Web3, guiding new users down the crypto rabbit hole in a curated way to make sure that people coming into the space are not only using positive sum protocols, but are also starting to build their on-chain resume as they do it. So the longer-term vision for Rabbit Hole is building essentially the open credentialing system for Web3. To build that credentialing system, it's important that they're decentralized. And so the Pathfinder program is paving the way for decentralizing Rabbit Hole and creating an open system built by the community, not by a single team. If you're interested in learning more about Rabbit Hole, check out rabbit hole at rabbit hole.gg. You can also check them out on Twitter, rabbit hole underscore gg. And if you're interested in learning more about the Pathfinder program, which is the first step to the Rabbit Hole DAO, you can check it out at rabbit hole.gg slash Pathfinder. All right. Let's hop into the show. I am here with Oren McMillan from Gnosis. Oren, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me.
0: I am super excited to talk about Gnosis. It's my latest obsession for a bunch of different reasons. Before we get into all of that, though, do you want to give a little bit of background on you, how you felt on the crypto rabbit hole and what you're working on at Gnosis?
1: yeah so i i guess i have a bit of a weird entry way into the whole kind of crypto ecosystem i stumbled across bitcoin in 2013 i was actually playing basketball professionally at the time so Totally different kind of career at that point in time, was living out in Australia, which is where I'm from, and saw a, a news report on the, the deep web, the dark web, immediately was fascinated by that. Uh, and so when I downloaded Tor, started poking around all these dot .onion websites and inevitably found my way to some marketplaces everything on these marketplaces was denominated in bitcoin and so i had no idea what bitcoin was but wanted to know like how much the things that they're selling on these marketplaces were and so that's where I, where i guess i fell into the, the crypto rabbit hole as a whole and then from there discovered pretty soon after a, a bunch of Vitalik's posts on ethereum and some of the stuff that it enabled and that's what really got me excited about cryptocurrency that's what kind of took it from a a a Kind of passive interest, something that looks cool and I keep an eye on to something that I really want to be a part of. And the thing that most got me excited about that was some of Vitalik's early writing about DAOs and how they could be enabled on Ethereum and the types of things that they would enable for the world. And so then I fast forward a few years in 2016, I'm still playing basketball, but this project spins up called The DAO. And I get involved with that really early on, recognize that it doesn't really have kind of an official home somewhere for its kind of community to congregate. So I start uh, myself and another guy spin off a forum and it essentially just becomes the de facto home for the uh, the DAOs community. So this DAO hub forum kind of blows up really quickly and it's like a, a baptism of fire for me in community management, community building and dealing with all things crypto in terms of helping other people to understand it. And anyone that's not familiar with the DAO, is basically this early attempt at creating a more general purpose DAO, uh, had a, a meteoric rise, kind of crowdfunded a, a whole bunch of Ether, had a, had a really ridiculously large treasury. And then a vulnerability was found in the code. Someone exploited it and the whole thing crashed and burned. And, and it resulted in the Ethereum classic hard fork on, on Ethereum. And so, yeah, that whole thing was my baptism of fire into kind of most things Ethereum. Uh, And from there, I uh, branched out into doing a whole bunch of different stuff throughout the space. Now I'm at Gnosis where I'm leading uh, most of our kind of DAO related efforts, uh, helping to get the Gnosis DAO set up, as well as working on a project called Zodiac, which is basically an open standard and a collection of tools for uh, much more kind of interoperable, composable, portable DAOs tooling around that, uh, essentially trying to help connect the dots in the DAO ecosystem.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I love the DAO history also, because I think there are definitely people who listen to the podcast who are super familiar with sort of the history of DAOs and Ethereum. But I think there are a lot of people who are coming into the space now and getting more involved in DAOs who actually are less familiar with all of the history and the weight of the term DAO um, for the last many years in Ethereum feels like it's finally emerged and changed connotations. But for a while, I think definitely had some negative, not negative, there's, everything's a learning. but there were certainly, there's a lot of history with the term DAO. Um, that is such a good story to to start with all of this. And I'm super excited to chat about Zodiac and some of the things that you're doing now with Gnosis. And I guess before we dive into all of that, do you want to give for people who are not technical and maybe have not been in crypto for a long time, or maybe just haven't like dove in deep enough into the world of um, multi-sigs and all that, do you want to give like a sort of non-technical overview of what a multi-sig is and where Gnosis fits into this multi-sig ecosystem?
1: Yeah. So uh, a multi-sig is essentially just a, a style of uh, account that requires some minimum threshold of signers in order to authorize the execution of a transaction. So uh, a lot of people, when they interact with with something blockchain related, th- the typical experience if you're dealing with Ethereum is probably using Metamask or some other wallet that controls an EOA, which is an externally owned account. And that basically just means you, control, you ultimately control a private key that you use to sign messages and then broadcast. Uh, and so that's how your your kind of transactions enter the blockchain. And so a multisig, there's a bunch of different ways that you can create the multisig setups. The way that we do it at Gnosis is basically a contract wallet. So we have an Ethereum smart contract. Uh, the Gnosis safe implements the logic for a multisig. So essentially, you have to get a signed message from some minimum number of authorized signers to this multisig To approve any transaction before the safe will actually execute it uh, and make the the calls to whatever other external contracts you're wanting to interact with. Uh, And the Gnosis Safe is by far the the kind of most uh, widely used and, and highly trusted multi sig setup in probably the entire cryptocurrency ecosystem and definitely in the Ethereum ecosystem. It currently secures over 90 billion in assets across a whole variety of different organizations and individuals in the space
0: yeah the way that I was describing it to people who were like not technical even is just a shared wallet that's basically what it ends up being of course, they're on the back end there's much more complicated aspects of it, but do you think right, that's like right, a fair yeah. basic way to describe it
1: yeah I, I think that's a if you wanted to give a a really high level TldR of it then yeah that's a, a really great summary, just like a shared wallet, one where it doesn't necessarily have to be between individuals like you, you the thing that uh, has shared control of it is keys. But yeah, under the assumption that uh, you and I want to create a shared wallet, then we each have a key that can be an owner of a multi-sig wallet and it requires a signature from both of us to to do something. So our, our multi-sig enables us to have a shared wallet.
0: Yes. So we could ape into anything together, which is the fun of a multi-sig, which brings me yeah. to before we started recording, I was telling you that I am fully obsessed with Gnosis Safe. And the reason is that I think people talk a lot about like social web three and what that's going to look like. And a lot of people think it's going to look like Twitter and all of this stuff. But I created a multi-sig with a friend of mine. And so we both sent some ETH into it. And We made it a one of two. So for people who don't know what that means, what Oren was talking about around you need a certain number of people to basically approve these transactions, only one of us needs to approve it. So we could make it two of two where both of us have to approve it. But, And I'm using approve as an abstraction to keep away the technical aspects, but it's basically approving these transactions. And so only one of us has to approve it, which means that we can just spend each other's money. It's a shared wallet, quite literally, in the sense that we can just do whatever we want with it. And it was really interesting because it felt like there was this social aspect where when one of us spends that money, it feels like we're doing it together, even if it's asynchronous. And that felt really special to me in a way where I almost feel like Gnosis, I say, because it's the leading multisig, but multisigs more broadly in this like shared wallet might actually be the social layer of Web3. I'm curious what you think about that.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think it extends beyond just multisigs. I think this is where a large part of the the ecosystem, especially around the Ethereum space, has been drawn over the last few years. And so multi-sigs are kind of a really great entryway to this, entry point for this. But I think as you tumble down the rabbit hole, that's when you start really expanding your your potential kind of control structures for these accounts. And so they're multi sig where it's one of two or maybe a small group of you, maybe it's three or five or something like that, can quickly snowball into a communally owned wallet. So now rather than a pair of people or a small group of people, it ends up being hundreds or thousands of people communally owning uh, and deciding on how to use some shared resources controlled by this wallet.
0: So here's my question to you. You've been thinking about DAOs for a long time. Is my one of two sig a DAO?
1: That, there's a lot of room for interpretation. I, I, I think like the transition point between not a DAO and a DAO is a really thick, fuzzy, gray line. And it, I'd probably fall in the camp to say that it's like DAO is as much a mindset as it is a, a specific kind of combination or a set of criteria on your tool. I think a, a lot of organizations kind of start operating as DAOs informally a long time before they have all the pieces in place to kind of formally be a DAO. And I personally don't have an objection to them calling themselves a DAO, or I think if, if we want to get really technical about it, they might be kind of aspiring DAOs. I'd probably say that the, the one of two falls a little bit short of being a DAO just because it's, I don't know, it, it, it's very centralized control. You know, any one person can decide what to do with the money at any time or, you know, that the shared resources at any time. So I think you probably have to go expand a little bit, require a little bit more, uh, a few more confirmations before you start to really check that decentralized box in, in a DAO setup. That said, it's obviously decentralized in that it runs entirely on chain, doesn't require any any kind of third parties to make it operate. So it, it has some kind of flavor of decentralization. And I, I guess it's really about it. the reason I think like DAO is there's room for interpretation in it is that it's not necessarily uh, prescriptive in terms of like where the decentralization has to happen.
0: And I think that's a really interesting aspect of this conversation around what is a DAO and what isn't a DAO. I think, to your point, it probably is more of a mindset than anything. And it's very easy to get caught up in these, like, definitions around what is and isn't a DAO. I have heard this argument that there's a potential for a lot of organizations to call themselves DAOs, even if they're not. Do you think we should be protective over the term DAO? Or should it be something where it's like, yep. It's a vibe. People are going to use that vibe. We can't stop people from using the term DAO. Like, I'm curious how you think about that, especially given the fact that you've you've seen it evolve quite a lot over the last few years, and I'm sure like accelerated in the last year or so. So I'm curious how you think about that.
1: Yeah, I think the, the latter point that you really can't stop people using it or claiming it it, there's no no ip rights over it there's no way to enforce that and i don't know that trying to enforce it would do any real good that said i do understand the concern around the term being kind of diluted or devalued by organizations claiming the title but not actually walking the walk and so that's why i think it from a, a community point of view it, it's very important that the the, the down mindset be a really crucial part of it so it's it whether or not the the technology is in place, like the intent of how you're operating, I think is a really critical part for it. If you're an organization that's claiming to be a DAO but has no intent whatsoever of actually ever progressing in in the direction that would reasonably actually call this a DAO, then I think at that point you're being disingenuous with your uh, with in calling yourself a DAO. If, if you're an early stage project. You know, and you're still set up as a multisig, and maybe you have, you know, some way to gauge community input, and you have this—you know, you are actually vibing with the DAO term. You you have this intent of this thing progressively decentralizing and becoming more community-owned, more community-controlled. By all means, I'd say use the term DAO and and live that ethos even before you have the the tech in place to to formalize it.
0: Yeah, I think that's super important. So I'm curious from your perspective, like you were like you're talking about involved in sort of the DAO community early on. How have you seen this sense of community building and how people engage with DAOs change, if at all, from that point to where we are now, where we have a lot more DAOs doing a lot of different sort of specialized things has that like mindset where you know a DAO is the vibe um, more than anything else? Has that mindset and that actually like connotation and vibe changed, or has it stayed the same?
1: Yeah, I think so. Maybe taking a step back a bit, there's really broadly two two categories of DAOs, right? Like one is the really purpose specific DAOs. So I I'd call those things like the Bitcoin network or the Ethereum network, where essentially like you have this desired outcome in the case of those two, it's a functioning and secure network. And then the participants of the network contribute to it out of their own kind of mutual self-interest. And the emergent result is the desired outcome. So I think that's broadly the first category. And then the second category is this like more general purpose organization that wants to Essentially, function in in some way that's probably similar to more traditional organizations, where they can they can kind of set objectives, but be flexible in what they are. They can kind of effectively do anything that the the DAO membership decides they they want to do. And and so I think the first case is is really just about setting up the the correct system of incentives and. and Ideally, community kind of factors into that, but it, ultimately, like if you have the, the correct set of incentives set up, then people will contribute to it and do the work to create this desired outcome. The the, the community that builds around it is not necessarily; it's, it's hugely important to the to that type of DAO being successful, but it's not it's not critical to the the DAO's kind of core mission in terms of securing the network or kind of producing this one outcome. And I think the other type of DAO, this kind of more general purpose DAO. Um, that's that's flipped on its head. It's entirely dependent on the contributors essentially generating value for the organization, whatever the organization kind of considers to be value. And how that's evolved over time, I think, is largely, I think, in relation to what a lot of these organizations have started to consider essentially valuable uh, or valuable contributions. So, like the 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 DAO, and a lot of earlier attempts at creating this more general purpose DAOs, really focused on essentially rewarding like capital inflows as in like you earn DAO tokens for putting money into this contract for essentially helping to give this thing a treasury. And the, the value in your share of the treasury increases over time as that the DAO does valuable things. And so you, you're incentivized to help the DAO increase the value of its treasury because that directly increases your kind of value in it. And I think there's been a lot of, over the last couple of years, a lot of DAOs that have become more nuanced and less focused on that specific goal of just maximize the, the value of this treasury. Some good examples of that, I think, are things like Raid Guild, which started out as this kind of DAO-based Web3 dev shop. And it's now evolved into this incredible community of of builders who still at the core, this kind of uh, dev shop, you can go and hire them to build all kinds of Web3-based applications. But the, the core of that community is really about the community itself, about this really engaging, interactive group of people building together with this kind of mission of making a I don't know. Making a, a better world based on Web three technology. It's a, it's a really rad uh, community to be a part of. Uh, and then I think like taking that a step further, particularly over the last kind of year with this explosion of of NFT kind of based DAOs, they they tend to just leverage literally just the kind of cultural aspect. Like joining this DAO is an expression of your your kind of vibing with a particular culture you're wanting to be a part of a particular culture and you're wanting to express that publicly And i think that's a, a really interesting thing to base your participation in a DAO around it's something that i think i had blinders on to a long for a long time for and i've only just come to the realization that this is a really uh, valuable thing for a lot of people to participate in but yeah so i, I don't know if they, i think that the incentives for participating in, in dallas have definitely grown and evolved and kind of uh, moved in a few different directions over the last few years
0: Yeah, and it almost feels like as the surface area of crypto increases, the number of ways that you can apply DAOs just also grows because it's like any new type of asset that people are engaging with or any new type of activity can be done in multiplayer mode using a multi sig and it can basically become a DAO because you have this ability to do these shared resources basically. I'm curious how you think about something like these sort of smaller squad DAOs, which maybe feels like the next evolution of this around how does a smaller group of people provide value to different communities that to me almost feels like the next evolution maybe not I mean yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe you have a better idea of what the next evolution will be but I'm no, no, super no, no, curious no
1: by all means, uh, let me come back to this in just a second because I realized I, I completely skipped over the whole kind of DeFi DAO explosion oh, yes. as well last year. <laughs> and this was like a really critical piece to the, the kind of DAO history. I think it's just so there's a whole bunch of DAO frameworks built in, in you know, between basically 2016 and, and last year. And while there were a bunch of DAOs that got spun up, there was only a handful with any kind of real value attached to them. And then the DeFi ecosystem exploded. And all of a sudden you had this. um, humongous protocols that had this real need for robust kind of DAO technology. And I think that's what's really kickstarted this, I don't know, DAO Renaissance, if you want to call it. Maybe it's a bit early for it to have a renaissance. But yeah, like that's what's really kickstarted that is just like the real need, like protocols with a real need to have have really robust governance systems. Um, going back to your other question about this next evolutions for DAOs, I think I in terms of squads, like one of the one of the things that got me really excited about DAOs really early on was the idea of organizations that you can spin up with very little overhead, it's something that you can spin up with a, a group of friends? You don't have to file any paperwork necessarily. Obviously, there's this gray areas about legal. This is not legal advice. Anyone out there listening? But you know, like you, you can in a matter of minutes sit down together in the same place or on opposite sides of the planet, and and spin up this on chain organization that can now operate autonomously uh, on chain, where you can have shared control of assets. And so that like that that really low barrier to entry is um is one of the things that got me most excited about, about DAOs. Essentially, it's, it's a way of creating these kind of really much more equitable organizations than what is is available to people in a lot of the world. I'm obviously in a very privileged position. I, I come from Australia and I live in the US now. Both of those places where I spend most of my time have really stable governments where I can, for the most part, trust the legal system. If I set up an organization here, I, I can be fairly certain that it's not going to get cannibalized by that system. But that's not the case in, in a lot of the world, you know, a lot of the world has uh, much shakier legal structures or it's much more difficult or it's, uh, it's much less secure to create an organization and operate an organization. And so that was one of the, the real things that got me most excited about DAOs early on was the ability to create these kind of potentially global and really low barrier to entry organizations. And so I think that the squads use case is a really good example of that, where you get a handful of friends in a Discord server and they can now with this technology no matter where they are in the world, really with a trivial amount of effort, effort, set up an organization where they can now have shared control over some resources.
0: Yeah, I think that to me is what's massively powerful as this next evolution, not even exclusively because of this legal aspect or resource sharing, reducing friction, though, I think that's definitely a big part of it, but also because when I'm engaging with DAOs as an individual, something that I've noticed is... At some point, there's sort of two things that happen. And maybe it's two different types of people. One is someone who gets like pretty overwhelmed with the amount of stuff going on. DAOs are not super great at onboarding still. And so it's hard to figure out where you fit in. And then the other type of person is someone who overcommits to everything because there are so many options to do And I'm in that bucket. I think yes. I think a lot of people in crypto currently are. I am certainly in that bucket. And so something that I think is interesting about squad DAOs is Let's say you have a group of three or four friends who you decide you're going to create a DAO for, but actually you as a group engage with DAOs themselves. So maybe you help a DAO with doing onboarding and maybe you help DAO do something else. And what I think is most interesting about that is as a group, you actually need to much more intentionally consider whether or not you have the bandwidth to take things on. It's much harder to overcommit as a group because you're more intentionally thinking about these things. But you also have a better balance of if you don't have the time to do something, if you have a group of three other people, they can sort of pick that up a little bit. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how DAOs engage with squad DAOs and maybe creating these better systems for more intentionally engaging there's of course the possibility that squad DAO way overcommit, but I do feel like it's a little bit harder, especially if you have a little bit of like a mini governance structure where, you know, you take a step back and say, do we have the time and ability to commit to this? And often the answer is probably going to be no, so people <laughs> don't do it, which is kind of nice. But, but I think this like governance system for these types of things does create a level of intentionality. I'm curious how you think about, especially with Zodiac, which maybe you can give a little bit of like background on, but this like Inter DAO governance with something like a squad DAO. But yeah, yeah I'm curious about that.
1: So I, I think this is a really interesting concept. And I tend to agree, like, you would probably have more pause in thinking about how you essentially commit someone else's time, commit your friend's time, as squad members' time, as opposed to just your own. I know I, I am definitely more considerate about. Committing my team's time, or my my friend's time, than I am about my own. I definitely willy nilly overcommit myself, but would not do that uh, to other people. So having this kind of squad structure is probably a good gatekeeper on on overcommitting yourself. So I, I like that as a as a just a way of of metering your uh, your commitments. I think that's a really neat idea in terms of these kind of DAO to DAO interactions. There's potentially like this small squad like DAO interacting with some larger, larger entity. I am really excited about this. I don't think we've seen much of it happen to date outside of essentially kind of investment type things, small groups of folks pulling together to create a little investment type DAO, venture DAO of some description, and then going, buying into, into kind of other larger DAOs or or potentially the kind of more recent example of this is like creating shared, uh, shared kind of art collections, NFT collections, and having a, a little, squad structure around that but I am excited to see more of these kind of use cases where it's uh, the squad actually becoming participant as a squad in a larger DAO and I think that there are some examples of this one good example of this would be uh, Diorg they're another kind of web3 dev shop set up as a DAO and they've definitely done a whole bunch of different interactions with all kinds of different uh, DAOs and organizations in the space where they're essentially building stuff out for for a DAO for an organization so it's, it's the dog DAO that's interacting with them, but obviously it's the members of that DAO that are actually doing the work. Um, and they, they're, they're, I think, still fall into that squad category. They're still small enough that I think you could call them uh, a squad-sized DAO, although they have a, a big kind of presence in the space. And for reference, they, they actually helped us build a bunch of the Zodiac tools. We really love the work they do, and they're uh, really fun to work with. In terms of how Zodiac fits into this, so I guess like a, a bit of background on kind of what Zodiac is, Essentially, we we recognize this pattern of a lot of aspiring DAOs starting out with a combination of a Gnosis Safe and then a snapshot instance. So they have some kind of trusted community members assign us to the safe. And then Snapshot is this voting tool where you assign messages off-chain and it aggregates messages as votes for proposals. And so all of the, the voting happens off-chain, so it's free for everyone. And then the multi-sig signers just essentially do something to the effect of kind of pledging to do whatever the the community says in these snapshot proposals. Um, And so we noticed that this informal relationship became really popular in around August last year when the gas prices first started to get really out of hand. They'd been out of hand since kind of early last year, but they got outrageous uh, in in August last year. And so a lot of projects started defaulting to that as a setup for running their governance as opposed to doing voting on chain. And this got us thinking about how we could formalize that relationship, and so we built this module that uses a an oracle to bring that off chain voting on chain and allow the the community to have much more direct control of, over a noce safe and essentially treat the noce safe as the the kind of core of a DAO. And this this is what kind of led us down the rabbit hole to ultimately designing Zodiac as this open standard where essentially. You treat the, the safe as your organization's uh, avatar on chain. So it's this thing that holds all of the assets. It's the address that you reference. It controls all of your systems and all that kind of stuff. And then you control it by plugging in kind of other contracts as modules to your safe. Uh, and so a little known feature of the safe is that it has the ability to enable modules that can bypass the signers. And so it doesn't need approval from the multisig signers to execute this transactions. And so that's where all these Zodiac modules kind of plug in. Basically, they become modules to the safe. So you can bypass the signers and so you can have, in this example, like a a snapshot instance kind of much more directly control the Gnosis safe uh, to the point where you can actually just get rid of all of the multisig signers and have the safe operate purely controlled by the snapshot instance or any kind of combination of multisig plus modules and any combination of of different modules. It's it's insanely flexible and and composable there. And so in, in designing the standard now, Uh, Our kind of goal is to set this up as the default way that people go and create DAOs, essentially to decouple their account. Uh, Again, the the avatar on chain, the thing that holds assets, decouple that from the logic that controls it. So then if you start out as a multi-sig and over time you decide, okay, we want to become something more decentralized, you can basically plug in any number of different modules, uh, including all of the existing DAO frameworks into your NOSA safe and and control control it with that. So this is our kind of, I don't know, if if you're you're thinking about starting a DAO and you're listening in today, this is like the the one really important take home message is just decouple those two things, decouple the thing that holds the money from the thing that uh, makes the decisions. And then that will give you unlimited flexibility down the line.
0: Yeah, I think this is really important and interesting. I think, first of all, anyone who's like in the DAO space or wants to explore, I would highly recommend starting, like creating a Gnosis safe with a friend or something, because it is cool to experiment with this where you create a super, super flexible multi sig and then you could slowly evolve it to be whatever you want it to be. I think that's really cool. And it goes along the lines of this almost human centric design philosophy, which is like, see how people use it before you over architect it. And it feels like that's what this allows you to do in a lot of ways.
1: Absolutely. That's what, what guided us obviously to, to going down this route was just seeing how people were using the safe and using other tools in concert and what trade-offs they were prioritizing when they were setting up their uh, DAO ecosystems. And the trade-off that most people ended up making was, let's make it easy for people to contribute. Let's make it easy for them to participate in governance. And when I say easier, most of the time what that's referring to is just, let's not make it cost an arm and a leg every time someone wants to cast a vote. Uh, Because there's there's no better way to deter people from voting than to to reach (laughs) into their wallet every time they want to uh, cast their vote.
0: So true. Voter apathy is already a problem. And when you make it cheaper to be apathetic, it's, it is just a momentum flywheel of not, not participating. Before we wrap up, I have a segment at the end of the show, which is what is your favorite thing in your wallet? It can be an ERC-20, NFT, doesn't matter. But what is your favorite thing in your wallet or multisig?
1: In one of my wallets somewhere, I still have, I think, a handful of tokens from the DAO. So those are pretty cool. That's um, so
0: cool. That is really, I, I, really cool.
1: The Ethereum Foundation uh, a few years ago set up, uh, I think it was Alex Vandersen Van from the Ethereum Foundation set up a neat little contract that when you contributed to the Ethereum Foundation wallet, you got a little unicorn token. So, I have some, I have at least one of those unicorn tokens, maybe multiples, but I can't remember what wallet they're in. So, I have to go fishing for them at some point. What else is there in there that's cool? I have a couple of NFTs in the wallet that I actually use regularly. A couple of NFTs that a good friend of mine, Baki Poobar, found for me. And one of them is a Mooncat, and then the other one is a Bastard Gan Punk. Those are pretty fun. Mm. And outside of that, I've got shares and tokens and and whatnot from a whole bunch of different daos and i really enjoy that being being kind of a part of a whole bunch of different organizations is uh yeah really neat that's
0: really cool i now am going to make it my mission to get like a DAO, like the DAO um token that's like the coolest slice of culture you could ever own that is insanely yeah. <laughs> cool
1: I think there might be a Uniswap pool for them. So it may not actually be that hard to get one. I I'm going to track that down. That. Yeah. I'm
0: totally going to track that down. If I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so good to chat. I'm glad we got to go through the evolution of DAOs. This was really fun. So I appreciate you coming on.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me. This was a, a ton of fun.
0: Yes. Also, where can people find you on the the internet?
1: Yeah. Twitter at Orin underscore Macmillan is where they can find me. If you want to come chat, maybe jump into the Gnosis Discord at chat.gnosis.io or jump into the Gnosis Guild Discord, which I think there's a link to that on our on the Gnosis Guild Twitter account. So that's just at Gnosis Guild, all one word. Uh, and then just follow the links to the Gnosis Guild Discord. Um, I guess I should give a shout out to Gnosis Guild. That's the the kind of sub team at Gnosis that we formed to build Zodiac and then a handful of other uh, tools that we're working on right now to continue to hopefully improve the DAO ecosystem. So just shout out to everyone on that team. We've, we, we're have we only new, but we've been making some big waves and are really excited to be working with all of them.
0: Yes. And I believe it was also Gnosis Guild officially that published a prehistory of DAOs, which was like an amazing piece that everyone should read.
1: Kia did a really nice job on that. She's she's a really incredible writer. Yes. Lots of good context.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so awesome to chat. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.